Here we go, rejecting the screen, the going ISO edition, as we do every Thursday with all sorts of folks connected to the NBA. Today's episode brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Noah Kozlov, Adam Stanko on the East Coast, down in the bubble. Our guest today is Ben Golliver of the Washington Post, also the co-host of the Thursday Locked On NBA podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Highly recommend signing up for the post-up newsletter at the Washington Post. Also, you can check out Ben's SI Now Open Floor podcast, and you can also pre-order Bubble Ball. That's the book that will chronicle Ben's time in the NBA bubble and the 2020 NBA title chase. You can get all that information on Ben's Twitter at Ben Goliver. Ben, before this assignment, what was the most unique assignment of your career? No, that's a really, really good question. I mean, first of all, nothing compares. I think that when I was first coming down here, people were saying, well, maybe it'll be a little bit like the Olympics, except a little bit longer. You know, you could try to compare the Disney World Resort to like the Olympics Village, but I've never done an Olympics. I think the longest assignments I've ever had have been playoff runs where I've been on the road for, you know, two or three months straight. And obviously every, every summer I go and do two weeks um, in Las Vegas. And, you know, I, I'm one of the, the few people who is dumb enough to stay there for the entire time and, and kind of uh, scrounge out all the way to the championship game of summer league. But uh, for me, there's, there's been nothing like it before. And I don't think there's ever going to be anything like it since, to be honest, as, as you're starting to look forward and think about it, like during these playoffs, I've been to every single game since the start of the second round. And that will never be possible again in the future, as far as I could tell, just from a logistical standpoint, watching four series simultaneously. Uh, you know, some days there would be, a, you know, Giannis interview and then a LeBron interview, then a Kawhi interview all on the same day. I just can't imagine, you know, anyone kind of being thrown into this, uh, this kind of a basketball haven, um, you know, ever again. And I hope anyways, I hope we don't get confronted with the circumstances, uh, you know, required for another bubble. I'll say that. Before we uh, go on to the rest of your time in the bubble, because I think it's fascinating, you started your career with the Draft Kevin Durant blog, which documented the the 07 draft, obviously, famously, and and, and the Blazers. In the years since, how many times have you told people, I told you so? Well, I try not to do that. It's one of those that kind of speaks for itself, but it's also difficult not uh, not to bring that up every once in a while. Um, I took a lot of crap for it, so I don't feel terrible about the I told you so's. I mean, back then, they actually ran something in the newspaper. There was a story about my blog in the newspaper, and they ran some letters to the editor, and one of them said, you know, even cavemen know you got to draft Odin. You know, that was back when Geico was doing the caveman commercials and everything. So, um, you know, maybe not. You know, maybe there was a different option uh, for the caveman to select there in 2007. But, um, you know, it's – you know, it's just one of those things where you try to take step by step in your career. And for me, I had to find a way in the door. It was the biggest moment for Portland basketball, really, since you know probably the 2000 Western Conference Finals when the when the team got its heart broken uh, by you know Kobe and Shaq and the Lakers, and it was a huge rush of excitement around that group. And uh, I got swept up in it, and you know, kind of one thing led to another, and now I'm held captive here in you know in the Disney World bubble 13 years later. So, uh, you know, I never could have predicted it. That's for sure. You ever think about the impact that it, it may have had on your career if the Blazers had stayed healthy, Brandon Roy, Greg Oden, others, and there was a Blazers-Sonics rivalry? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, one thing I, I often do is I, I look at kind of what happened with Royce Young because Kevin Durant went there, right? And Royce and I worked together at CBS Sports, and you know, he was able to just kind of cover that Thunder story, yeah, you know, that, that Thunder team inside and out on a national basis um, for years and years. That easily could have been the Blazers if Odin had stayed healthy or if they had taken Kevin Durant, right? Um, there was lots of talk about, you know, championships. Odin, I think, was even on the cover of one magazine at one point, you know, saying he wanted to win rings. Uh, it seemed like it was all lining up. I mean, remember, 2007 was a long time ago from a basketball philosophy standpoint. And the idea of having this, you know, perennial all-star impact-making center who could give you an elite defense and didn't need the, the ball necessarily but could still be a scoring threat. Um, I mean, he, that was like such an ideal. People wanted that, you know. And I think in this day and age, we're, we're so much more focused on perimeter playmakers and ball handlers and shot creators. And, you know, Luka Doncic is the future and that kind of thing. But back then, Odin, for a lot of people, seemed like he was going to be the future. And, uh, you know, of course, it just didn't pan out that way. But there's a lot of woulda, coulda, shouldas and, and a really heartbreaking hypotheticals, none bigger than Brandon Roy, by the way, because he actually did achieve, you know, all NBA level, all-star level, 50-point games, I mean, all of it. And then to have his career kind of cut down in the middle of his prime like it was, it was horribly sad to watch. I remember some press conferences with him nearly in tears and, you know, the media had such affection for him because he was, um, you know, such a great ambassador for that organization. It was just a really, really tough time period to go with. So I think, uh, you know, ultimately there's going to be a lot of regrets. And, and the Blazers are very lucky, by the way, that Damian Lillard came right along to kind of fill those shoes because he's done it very well. That's for sure. You mentioned conversations with Royce Young. What are conversations like day-to-day -day with reporters with you in the bubble? Well, look, I mean, we've seen a lot of each other. I guess I put it that way, right? I mean, all yeah. the small talk you could possibly make has, has been made. And I think one good aspect is there's been some new blood, right? Some people have cycled through, you know, some media members were only here for the first half and they swapped out for the second half. Others were allowed to come in because the teams they covered made it to the conference finals or made it to the finals. So seeing some fresh faces has been very helpful. I would say in general, there's a, a spirit of camaraderie and collegiality here. Like, everyone's on friendly terms. Everybody's nice. You know, when you're walking around campus, you'll, you'll wave to people. Uh, but at the same time, there's not very many people here at this point. It's, it's a lot of a ghost town type environment. You know, I go for a walk every single day and a lot of the guys who I would see on my walks, Brad Stevens, Michael Malone, uh, you know, the list goes on, you know, they, they've been sent home from here, you know, one by one, we went from 22 teams and three arenas and three hotels. Now we're down to two teams one arena uh, and one hotel. So that's just a, a big difference. I mean, the bubble has really um, shrank. And, uh, you know, so at this point, uh, you're just, everybody I think is really focused on uh, the finish line being in sight. The people who I really feel for is a guy like Chris Haynes, who's got four daughters at home. Yeah. I mean, even LeBron today, I believe Bronny, it's, it's his son Bronny's birthday today. I mean, being separated from your family for those kinds of occasions, whether they're going off to college or, having a birthday or, or whatever it might be. That's, that's the people I feel uh, the worst for. I mean, I, I feel actually kind of fortunate not to have kids during this experience because it just keeps my life simpler. You talk about just how isolated it all feels. And I know you had a mandatory seven-day quarantine yourself. Uh, you've, you've discussed that somewhat. I'm curious, Noah had talked about it before the bubble even started, this idea that the teams that would fare the best were the ones that were the most mentally fit. And I'm curious from your perspective, if you could just explain 
to those of us that haven't been inside the bubble, just really how isolating it all it all feels. Well, so when we first got here, I could only walk around a very small portion of the property that was less than a mile. So you can imagine, basically, if you take a 12-minute walk around your neighborhood, that's as far as we could go. Now, they've opened it up slightly, so we can now do a 1.5-mile loop around the entire property. But if I were to walk off of that loop in any direction, there are video surveillance cameras. There are four layers of law enforcement, including local um, you know, sheriff uh, and uh, local police, Disney security, NBA security. Uh, so you constantly feel it. There are signs everywhere saying you can't walk this direction. You can't go this direction. If you go off uh, this road, well, now you're going to be subject to a new quarantine procedure. And that stuff just weighs on you mentally. I mean, if you just say, you know, after a tough game, if you wanted to go watch a movie at a movie theater or you know, do whatever, you know, go to a 7-Eleven, um, you really have no ability to do any of that. For us, we didn't even have access to the Disney gift store until about two weeks ago. I think the only cash I've spent since I've been here in three months was to get my hair cut uh, three times. It's the only time I've paid cash for anything the entire time I've been here. Um, and there's just because there's nowhere to spend it. Uh, you know, I, I've tried to find little ways to like brighten my day. And you know, I go check the, the shipping department every day to see if, you know, I got any packages or care packages or gifts or letters or anything like that. Uh, for a long time, I didn't have access to the business center. So I couldn't even send out a letter if I wanted to until about uh, two weeks ago. So it's very, very restrictive. And, you know, the players have it a little bit better. Obviously, this entire thing is designed around them, their happiness and their safety. So they've had access to some areas that we don't. Um, but it's still a far cry from what they're used to. And, you know, again, like my life here isn't that different from my life at home because I was living a very strict quarantine life in a one-bedroom apartment. Here I've got a hotel room that's, you know, more like a studio, but, uh, you know, it's not that different. But I can imagine some of these guys are coming from huge mansions with personal gyms and, you know, per probably a, a personal chef and all sorts of other, um, you know, uh, comforts of life that just really aren't able to be duplicated uh, in this environment. So I think the toughest part is just the length, you know, the three months adding in the extra games beforehand, the seeding games, adding in the play in round, um, you know, doing the full 16 team tournament. I mean, all of that added up, even having the training camp beforehand, it just adds up to a long time of your life. You know, when we first got here, there was 4th of July decorations in the Disney store. Now we've got Halloween decorations <laughs> in the Disney store. I'm just glad they're not Christmas decorations, to be honest. When I first went in there and saw those Halloween decorations, it really threw me. Uh, but you do get the sense for the, the passage of time in other ways, too. Like when we first got here, it was super hot, humid. There's butterflies everywhere. I mean, you have this sort of like outdoor feel like you're, you're in central Florida, you know, in, in kind of the swampy atmosphere. Now it's gotten towards fall. You know, it, I saw a deer walking around the other day. I saw a hawk sitting by the side of the road saw a raccoon messing around. I mean, you're just seeing like different types of wildlife. A lot of the butterflies are gone because they've migrated to go somewhere else. So, you know, you have these little indicators that like, yes, it feels like Groundhog Day, but an awful lot of time has passed. And, uh, you know, I'm sure the players feel that even more than we do because they're the ones doing the grueling hard work of playing every other night. If Ben or the other reporters had cars in the bubble, then they could have the auto parts shipped to them right from rockauto.com. They've been serving mm -hmm. auto parts customers online for 20 years. 
rockauto.com is the place to go to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They've got everything, everything you could possibly imagine, and then things that you didn't even know existed. The catalog is so easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle. Then you can choose the prices you prefer, the specifications, even the brands. And the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for everybody. The professionals from the auto body shops to the folks who want to do it at home. So why would you spend twice as much for the same parts? Doesn't make any sense. Go to rockauto.com right now and you can see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write locked on, L-O-C-K-E-D, locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Box, so that they know we sent you? Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. That's so wild. You're talking about the passage of time here in New York City. We'd, we'd left and gone to the suburbs of Philadelphia for a little bit and came back, and you can see which bars haven't opened up and won't open up because they still have all the St. Patrick's Day decorations on the windows oh, and, that's, and that's how you know that that bar is closed and is, <laughs> and is not going to reopen uh, I've, I've got a few follow-ups on on a few of the details you said you got a few haircuts how much how much were the haircuts how much more are the haircuts in the bubble than what you're used to paying so um i just get a simple buzz cut and in, in la that will cost me usually 22 plus tip uh all men's haircuts here kind of for basic haircuts were 50 bucks but I'm not gonna, I, I, when I first saw it, I had a lot of sticker shock, I'll be honest. Once I saw the level of detail they were putting into the haircuts, I wasn't complaining. I mean, one of the guys had these gold clippers, never seen that before in my life. These are not your typical, you know, corner barbershop barbers. These guys, a lot of them have been doing like private barbershop services for various players and they offer a whole wide variety. I mean, they do braiding and they do, um, you know, all sorts of other stuff as well, but uh, for me, I had to pay 50 plus tips. So uh, all things considered, you know, it's a monopoly out here. And look, Disney's charging an arm and a leg for T-shirts and, you know, finals hats and everything else. So, uh, you know, the, the price inflation, uh, you know, it, it didn't bother me too much. So when you go get a haircut, do you have, is there a media specific window for when reporters are allowed to get haircuts so that you're not crossing paths with players? Absolutely. And yeah, they actually get it done in a different area. They, they built this, uh, you probably saw pictures of it. It's sort of like a, a self-contained glass box. That's like kind of a, a barbershop. They built that at actually a different property from where I'm staying, but uh, they do what's called basically media mornings uh, on Friday mornings is when then we're allowed to kind of get our haircuts. And it was hard to get an appointment for the, uh, you know, the first month or two, but now it's a little bit easier because there's fewer people here. Um, so they do the players, uh, barbershop is basically at a more convenient location for them. Ours is located right by sort of like the media housing barracks or whatever you want to call it. Um, so it's, it's a two walk, uh, a two minute walk, I should say to the barbershop. It's very convenient for us. And they have the kind of the similar setup uh, for the players as well. Because there are so many, there's so many of you that have been there for a certain period of time and yeah, there's there's a camaraderie and there's there's something unique about being there. But what's the what's the competition like amongst reporters, given that you're all on the same turf and you essentially have an equal level of access? Well, look, it's not as cutthroat as you might expect. Um, you know, I think part of the deal is that they have really restricted the side one on one stuff, which is where a lot of the scoops come from. So every once in a while, you'll see someone be able to get, you know, something that no one else has. But for the most part, 
you know, it does feel kind of like an Olympics experience where you're all being bussed over to the arena together. You're all doing the, you know, you're all writing similar game stories or trying to find different angles or, you know, but, you know, ultimately we're, we're covering a lot of the same stuff. I would also say there's just not that many people here. So the competition, it doesn't feel that intense because like in LA where I work, there's like 80 people in the locker room after the game, right? I mean, there's a lot of people. Maybe that's a little bit too many, but there's like 30, 40. And sometimes after big games, I mean, it's a really large crowd. Here, there's only a handful of media members who have been here from the start. I mean, it's not very many in terms of independent media members. There's been a few with the television broadcast crews. But, um, you know, you know, from that standpoint, I just go back to this idea of collegiality. And look, people have different priorities, too. I mean, there's some people who have been focusing more on the racial protest. There's been some people fo focusing more on the coronavirus and what does it mean for the league operations going forward. Some people focusing more just on the basketball action and, and what are we seeing in front of us. I think there's plenty to cover, to be honest. So I haven't seen a lot of like, there hasn't been like one of those situations like we got with the Warriors cameraman a couple years ago where they're like ready to fist fight because they're trying right. to like fight for uh, space. You know, it's nothing like that. And part of the reason why is because there's nowhere to hide, right? Like if you were a jerk and, you know, trying to cut somebody off and take a question or, you know, get some scoop, like you have to see that person when you go pick up your lunch the next day, or you have to see them <laughs> on the bus over to the arena. Like, you know, it would be a little bit awkward, right? So, um, you know, it, there is a little bit of a summer camp vibe here where we're all in this together, you know, if that makes sense. Now the real mm -hmm. competitive part did come out when there was talk of the shutdown, right? Because, um, you know, at that point, you know, you're, everyone's texting every player, every coach you possibly know to just see, okay, well, is this seriously going to happen? Are we going to keep playing? What's the vibe there? So there have been some really big moments where the competition comes out, but I think for the most part, um, it's more laid back, I think, from that standpoint than people might expect. So, Ben, obviously the Heatles were formed in part because of the Olympic experience that Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosch and LeBron had together and that there, those conversations started there. I'm curious, what do you think will be the impact of some of the relationships that are being formed now, being that there has been these players and families and some executives and coaches that are all in this quarantined environment, but it's not the entire league. And obviously, as the playoffs have gone on, it's dwindled down less and less. I mean, we saw the back and forth with like Jamal Murray uh, and Donovan Mitchell, for instance, as they were having huge games and then would see each other afterwards. What do you think the fallout for the league might be that these relationships have taken place over over uh, the last three months? Well, I mean, first of all, like look no further than Jeremy Grant signing with Clutch, right? You know, I mean, LeBron gave him some congratulations. Uh, you know, after that Western Conference Finals, and what do you know? He's got a new agent. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> you know, these relationships are happening right before our eyes. I mean, I, he's not the only one to to do that. I think uh, actually Gary Trent Jr. was mm -hmm. the same deal with the Portland Trailblazers. He had a really nice bubble run. So I guess give credit to Rich Paul and LeBron and their scouting department. You know, they're doing a pretty good job here in the bubble, <laughs> kind of picking guys up. But in terms of like who's going to team up, um, I think the biggest impact is that players on organizations that maybe aren't premier organizations will get an up close and personal look at what it seems feels like and is like on a daily basis to play for a top shelf organization right like the guys who i would be afraid of you know if i was gms and owners would be like devin booker you're coming in with the phoenix suns you have this hot eight no run but that organization has just been a mess for the last 10 years well here you're getting a look uh, front and center at LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers, right? You're getting a look at the Boston Celtics. You're getting a look at 
uh, the Toronto Raptors, the defending champions, how they conduct their business, what their leadership groups are look like. And that's where it would get scary. I mean, a Sacramento Kings are another really good example, right? If you're De'Aaron Fox, you know, you've been stuck there in Sacramento, you, you become used to a certain standard. You come out here and see how the Lakers and the Clippers operate and, you know, how their staffs work and, you know, how committed they are to winning and everything else. Like, you know, that just gives you a, a different perspective and it might make you think, hey, you know, maybe there is some greener grass out there. I think it's going to take a little while to play out, um, you know, for, to see if we really get some team-up scenarios. And also remember, there is some degree of separation between these teams. Um, they did use three different hotels, and each hotel was sort of uh, cordoned off from opposing uh, teams, right? So you're really supposed to stick to your hall. Now, there's obviously the pool, and, you know, you're seeing guys on the golf course, and you're going fishing with them, and there's bridges where you can fish and all that stuff. So there's common areas where they're able to come together, but it's not quite like the complete mixing of the Olympics environment, I would say. We've told you for a long time how good Bilt Bar tastes. Now it's even better or deliciouser. Is that mm. a word? No, definitely yeah. not. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go with it. They've had 12 original flavors. My favorite was the coconut almond. I think you really, didn't you really like the peanut butter brownie? Uh, the mint. Oh, the, the mint, mint, chocolate. mint brownie. The yeah. mint brownie. Okay. Yeah, mint brownie. They've one. got six new flavors, and my favorite in the new flavor is the apple almond crisp. They've got caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia. Get it? Because it's a bar. I do. Like I cherry do. barcia. Get it? Lemon almond cheesecake and carrot cake. And you'd think, given our previous conversations about carrot cake, that the carrot cake one would be my favorite since it is my favorite cake. But actually, the apple almond crisp is my favorite. Wow, we have an upset. I was convinced the carrot cake one, when you had a chance to try these, I was convinced you were going to go with carrot cake, as you pointed out, because you're a carrot cake connoisseur. Right. So but that's how good that that's how good the apple crisp one is. Right. Carrot cake to be my favorite was at minus one forty coming in, and mm -hmm. the, the apple crisp was at like a plus three fifty. I think those are the 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 last odds that I saw, but so if you'd put down a hundred, you did well. So in that case, so in that case, the apple crisp one was deliciouser. Deliciouser. Apple apple okay. almond crisp. The bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and they're just tremendously tasting. Nineteen grams of protein in the peanut butter bar, and just five grams of sugar. Great. Coconut almond, which I mentioned before. 18 grams of protein, 180 calories, five grams of sugar, Amazing. five grams net carbs. You get a free cooler now with a purchase. So while supplies last, go to builtbar.com, use the promo code locked on, and then you'll definitely get $10 off your next order. Promo code locked on, $10 off at builtbar.com, L O C K E D O N, no spaces, L O C K E D O N. Locked on for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Yeah, it's just so interesting to me. I mean, you think about like with college basketball, the Final Four is the one place where everyone sort of gets a chance to get together. And that's where assistant coaches are constantly handing out resumes, you know, because that's their one chance because they know they're all together. And I just think this is just a crazy social experiment that we don't know how it's all going to play out over the next next few years. So that's it's interesting insight. I'm I'm curious also, Ben, as as fans watching on TV, uh, I've been shocked and, and and Noah and I both being production guys, we've appreciated 
how much the game sort of feel like we're used to, right? You, the crowd noise being pumped in, you got the virtual fans, all that stuff, the way that the camera angles are shot, the announcers feel like normal. A lot of it feels familiar. In the arenas, as you're watching these games, can you take us through what it's actually like for you to be watching as a fan, but also, or reporter, obviously, but then also for the players, what the atmosphere just feels like inside these arenas? Well, yeah, it definitely feels a lot like a summer league environment because you're right there close to the court and you can hear all the chatter and you can hear the the conversations back and forth um, with the referees, which has been one of the most fun parts. I mean, one of my most memorable moments was Chris Paul getting called for a foul on LeBron James, arguing with the officials about it, and they're not listening to him. So he walks all the way down the court and takes his complaints to the manager and starts shouting to Monty McCutcheon, the head of the NBA officials, uh, you know, the, the executive for, for the <laughs> yes. league office. And he starts going back and forth with Monty McCutcheon about, hey, you know, why was that a foul? And they want to get into this huge debate. And then Monty's like, look, don't come over here. We have coronavirus guidelines that, you know, stay six feet away from me. I can't come on the court. You can't come over here. And so, you know, you just get these kinds of situations, which, you know, you're never going to see that, you know, in a normal NBA environment. And so that part has been really fun. Now, in terms of being in the arena, the noise is a real deal. I mean, they definitely pump it in. You can hear it. Uh, so I wouldn't say it feels normal, but it feels like normal adjacent. But there have been moments where it's just really, really flat. I mean, game two of the finals is a perfect example. Like, there will never be a flatter NBA finals game than game two. That felt like a preseason scrimmage, an intra-squad scrimmage, whatever you want to call it. I mean, Miami was just getting dominated so badly. They were already down 1-0 in that series. It was just a deflating experience for everybody. I mean, you come out of it and you're thinking, like, do I even need to write about this game? Like, does anyone care? And, you know, obviously <laughs> millions of people were still watching at home, but the feeling in the building was like you had just watched, you know, a team go through a training camp scrimmage. And that is unfortunate. I think part of the deal there is just the fatigue factor of people being here so long and, you know, once Jimmy stepped up in game three, all that went out the window. And I think, you know, we're now looking at a little bit more of a competitive vibe for this series, hopefully. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it, it's an empty arena. You know, it feels like going to your, you know, your brother or your sister's middle school game where there's, you know, 20 people in the stands. They're all parents, you know, they're all cheering for kind of one person. You know, it's like if your husband scores, you cheer. And otherwise, you just kind of sit there quietly and uh, it's, it's different, but uh, I also think that I've adjusted to it. You know, it, it was very weird for the first week or two. And then, you know, since then it's just kind of become the new normal here. Who is the most enthusiastic family member? That is a really good question. Um, I would say probably Danny Green's kids, you know, they get some let's go Lakers uh, chants going pretty regularly. Nobody joins in, but you can hear their two or three voices. <laughs> um, uh, so I would say they, they take the cake. I mean, the fan favorite that I really noticed during the Eastern Conference Finals was Tyler Hero. It's so funny because, like, he kind of came out of nowhere. This was even before his big game four performance, but everybody knows he's this huge fan favorite already down in Miami just because of his swag or his scoring ability. And he just, you know, there's just a lot to like there. And for whatever reason, like, the Heat wives and girlfriends, the family section, they just love Tyler Hero. So when he starts getting going, like, he, he actually gets more cheers than almost anybody. How about – on the court, since you can hear more, who's the most prolific trash talker? Well, that's a good one. I mean, Marcus Smart was yapping a lot. You know, he had a, an interaction with Giannis very early in the bubble. 
he was also uh, just a vocal leader on the court in terms of like trying to get through to Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown, especially in late moments. So uh, he talked a lot. I think probably the, the loudest talker is the most obvious one, though. That would be Pat Beverly. Um, you know, it was just nonstop from him for two months straight. I think his mouth got him in a little bit of trouble with the Damian Lillard thing and then some of the trash talk with, uh, you know, calling Jokic a flopper that came back to kind of bite bite them a little bit. So, you know, I think uh, both he and the Clippers bench really took it to new extremes. And, you know, at times the Lakers bench has been pretty aggressive too. Dwight Howard's been getting into the mix on that stuff as well. I think LeBron's tried to cool them off and keep them a little bit more about business here during the finals. Um, but, you know, certainly early in that Western Conference final series, they were trying to intimidate the younger Nuggets with their with their trash talk from the bench. This has been such a unique experience, not just because of the no crowd and obviously everything else surrounded with the bubble, but also just because we're seeing games on a neutral floor. And regardless of the fact of whose logo is out there or what the virtual fans look like, it we're, we're seeing neutral floor games. Do you think that we'll be seeing any games in the future? Uh, has the NBA looked into any of that in terms of try and put together just, you know, neutral games? You know, you look at, like, uh, the quality of play has been amazing from the neutral side aspect, right? Like, the lack of travel has helped these guys play at a really high level. So I've been enjoying the games quite a bit um, throughout the playoffs, really, because of that factor. But if you look at the television ratings, they're down quite a bit. And, you know, the neutral thing is is only one of, like, many variables. But I do think, like, the connection to the crowd is such an important part of the NBA game. That goes for college football, the NFL, you know, a lot of these different sports as well. But I feel like, you know, if you really want to capture, like, an entire market's attention, you kind of have to have the games in that market where it's like, you know, all of L.A. tunes in because down at Staples Center, the Lakers are playing. I know being from Portland, you know, there's a game at the Moda Center. Everybody wants tickets. Oh, if you can't get a ticket, well, you know, you're going to watch from home, right? And I do think that that just adds an element to the entire experience. And so I, I don't, I can't really see a situation where they're trying to do like a Super Bowl thing where they bring the finals to a neutral side and blow it out. Um, you know, I, I think the teams actually really prefer the home court advantage too. I mean, if you ask Milwaukee, if you ask Toronto, if you ask right. Boston, I mean, all these teams that went home against the lower seeded teams, they would all tell you, man, we really wish we could have had games one and two at home. And, in uh, Toronto's case, having game seven at home, right? Boston's case, uh, when, when they start to get into some trouble in that series, you know, it would have been nice for them to have game five at home and, and, and games one and two to start at home. So, you know, I think from that standpoint, the Clippers too, by the way, I mean, having game seven at home would have been helpful for them against Denver. I don't think they blow that 3-1 lead if they have home court advantage for game Agreed. five and seven. So, yeah. uh, you know, to me, I think you're going to see the, that part go back to normal as quickly as possible. Something that we, Adam and I talked about a lot before the bubble started was that I wasn't going to make much of if, if a player struggled in the bubble and make that be a referendum on his career. Also the same with someone who seemed to have out-of-body experiences in the bubble. So from talking to executives around the league, what, what type of sense do you get about how to evaluate players in the bubble? Well, I think for the younger players who are breaking through, I think there's a there is a greater degree of belief in what they've shown, right? Because of this idea that like the four month hiatus was similar to a typical off season. So for Tyler Hero, what you hear a lot is, well, he's coming back now. This is really his second season, it's not his rookie season, right? Because he had the four month layoff and he had enough time to build up. 
with Jamal Murray, you know, if he had made that same leap to start, uh, you know, what is it, his fourth or fifth season, would people have been that shocked, right? It's sort of like right on schedule for him, right? So he's just, you know, continuing to blossom, you know, as this all-star level point guard. Um, Devin Booker, you know, same deal. Like he's still so young that, you know, you come through fifth or sixth season uh, after the layoff. Wow. Now you're scoring like crazy on everybody. You're looking like a potential franchise player. So, you know, or even John Morant's another good example where again, like he was one player as a rookie. He came back after the break. He he put on some weight. He was better in the bubble than he was during the regular season, right? There's, There's really no question about it. So I think in those cases, people are willing to believe that the bubble version of those guys is pretty similar to what we're going to expect going forward. Now, is Jamal Murray going to shoot 50% on threes for the rest of his career? No, (laughs) but that's not going to happen. But uh, he could still be a very devastating player and a much better player than he was during last year's regular season um, when he goes forward. I think the extenuating circumstances that you're talking about negatively, in general, people would agree with you. But take a case like Montrez Harrell, where he's been waiting years for a big payday, right? And yeah. there's been some questions. How, how good is he on defense? Um, you know, he's an energy guy. He's certainly a skilled finisher offensively, but he is not a three-point shooter. So if you're a team and you're trying to talk yourself into Montrez Harrell, like as your starting center, you know, and, and you're going to throw a big amount of money at him, he comes here, has to deal with a family funeral, has to, looks like he's not really in shape, has a really tough matchup with Jokic and, and loses that matchup pretty badly in that series, that guy cost himself a lot of money. There's kind of no way around it. Like even if they do keep the salary cap the same way it is, there's no way he's going to be making as much as he would have if they just hadn't done the bubble. Right. So I think in, in some cases, the desire to be restrained in your analysis is still going to impact some players directly. And I think he's a really good example. Ben, I'm curious in terms of, legacy question which you know always comes up and we've talked before the bubble we said the one guy who would who would sort of benefit the the most with a ring would be would be LeBron because now you're looking at his third franchise he's taken MJ never took a team you know through the bubble to win to win a title I'm curious how you think LeBron's legacy is impacted if he wins a title how that'll be viewed and also another guy I'm curious Giannis how their exit may may impact uh, his future in Milwaukee, which he's never said himself that he was willing to leave and obviously still has another year left on his deal. Well, after being here for three months, I do not want to hear any asterisk talk whatsoever, especially if the Lakers win, you know, them being the number one seed, them going through the first three rounds in five games, potentially going through the finals in five games. And that's a dominant performance. Is it an all-time great playoff performance? Not really. I mean, you can go back to, you know, some of the Warriors teams 2017 and and find, uh, you know, groups that really went to a higher bar than the Lakers reached here. Uh, But at the same time, they knocked out Lillard, uh, Harden, Westbrook, McCollum, Jokic, Murray, you know, potentially Jimmy. Um, That's a pretty darn good run. And they deserve full credit for that. And I think when you're, you're looking at the scope of the burden that LeBron carried here on and off the court, I mean, being the leading voice of the player protest, advocating for Breonna Taylor, you know, being in favor of the bubble concept in the first place, just being so influential around the league, just like even get this bubble to happen. You know, if LeBron didn't want to play, you know, we all probably don't come down here. Um, I think he was the, the easily the most interviewed uh, player throughout the bubble experience. Um, you know, obviously the league's biggest star, you know, at least down here as well. 
So I think this one should count for a lot. Now, I'm not going to say it's worth two titles, right? But I definitely think it counts for a strong one. And I think you could put it right there with the 2016 title as his most impressive achievement. Now, the 2016 title is always going to be remembered because of the quality of that competition, right? That 72 win, sorry, 73 win team. I mean, that team was phenomenal. The comeback was just, you know, picture perfect, does it for Cleveland. I mean, you couldn't write a better story. I mean, this one is not a storybook ending. This one's just an absolute mental grind. But I think it's very symbolic that the guy who has outlasted all of his contemporaries and played into his 17th season is on the verge of outlasting the entire league here in the bubble, even though he's knocking off stars who are five and 10 years younger than him, you know, round after round. In Tyler Hero's case, 15 years younger than him. I mean, that's just absolutely incredible. So um, I think this one will definitely add to his legacy. Is it going to put him over the top against Jordan? I mean, that's a different question. For me personally, it won't. Um, but it, it's, uh, you know, it's going to be a major, major achievement in a career full of them. In terms of Giannis, um, coming out of the bubble, I didn't really like his messaging. messaging. He seemed like he was too eager to cede leverage to the front office to kind of say that everything was okay. I thought in the playoffs, we saw that coach Mike Budenholzer, who has really helped take Giannis to the next level and kind of catapulted him into that MVP conversation actually wound up being a coach that was holding him back, not playing him enough minutes, not being creative enough, not adjusting quickly enough um, in their playoff matchups. And I thought ultimately like Milwaukee should have changed coaches. I mean, it just bottom line. I, I thought they should have, uh, you know, tried to go a different direction and, and just admitted that, you know, coach Budenholzer is not the guy to get them over the hump. And for Giannis, it's all about the title. That's really what he cares about. He's a very loyal guy, but he obviously wants to win. And I think, uh, you know, he's sort of settling into this idea where like, okay, he trusts the ownership in front office to, you know, put a title team around him. And I, and I think personally that ownership's goal is not necessarily to build a title team at any cost possible because otherwise they would still have Malcolm Brogdon. I think ownership's goal is to do just enough to keep Giannis happy. And for me, that's, that's not quite good enough. And we'll see, you know, if that's how it plays out and, and whether or not, Giannis reaches the same conclusion, but I thought there should have been more drastic measures after the way they lost that series. Do you have any thoughts on who should be the Bucs head coach? Well, look, it's a moot point now because they're sticking with Budenholzer and they've just decided, look, this guy's going to be able to do it. I mean, they obviously trust their principles. They trust their system. So, I mean, what are you going to do? But you had an awful lot of good coaches out there. I mean, Doc Rivers, Mike D'Antoni, the list goes on. Uh, Ty Lue's interviewing with a bunch of people. Um, you know, all those guys, you could say, have had more postseason success than Coach Bud. And the frustrating part about their exit is that they lost the same way they lost previously. You know, the, the same things got them. Um, Giannis not being either ready or coached up to handle the heavy minutes of her, you know, the postseason, um, like most of his superstar level contemporaries. He should be playing exactly as much as Anthony Davis, you know, if not more. And he's not playing nearly as much uh, as a guy like that. And then, you know, I just think that their offensive system, which they've stuck to and refused to kind of uh, adapt really in any major ways, fell flat on its face throughout the bubble. I mean, they never looked good once they got down here. They have a lot of older pieces. You know, Marvin Williams is retiring. Ilya Sova's pretty much run his course. Uh, you can't count on anything from Bledsoe in the playoffs, you know, at this point. So they just have a ton of question marks. And uh, I think that this needs to be a bold offseason from Milwaukee especially if I'm looking at it from Giannis's perspective. I want to see real help because otherwise he's just going into next season with this idea of, hey, man, 
carry this whole organization and your coach all the way through the playoffs, uh, it starts to feel like very early career Jordan before Pippen showed up. Mm-hmm. Yep, Adam, Adam and I have had that conversation about Jordan and when he started winning as compared to where Giannis is in his career. We'll close with a few quick hits. When you go fishing or when you have gone fishing, who's, what's the ideal foursome on that boat? Well, I only went fishing once. I surprised myself with my ability to catch like six different fish. Now, granted, it was shooting fish in a barrel. I mean, they yeah, took a kind of dock where we could actually we could actually see the fish swimming around the boat. <laughs> so it was like all you had to do was drop your line in. I mean, it was it was a pretty ridiculous uh, setup. I mean, if you're, if I'm taking my bubble fishing foursome, yep. I'm gonna go me, LeBron. No, no, no. I'm talking, I, no, no. I'm talking. I'm talking reporters, media members. Oh well, I only went. Uh, I only went with with Mark Medina. He was the one who organized the trip. He was great. I mean, he he caught a bigger fish than I did. He went on quality. I went on quantity. Um, okay. But you know, look, I don't. I don't want to. You know, downgrade anyone who's here. I mean, you you could take any four you want, and, and everybody's great. No, but that's what we're looking for to do, because my next question was going to be, give me the reporter that you're glad isn't there. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to go there. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just kidding, Ben. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. The, uh, ben, I, I got one. So you talk about fishing, but what is, the, what is the coolest, I guess, excursion or activity, you could call it, that's available to the players to, to do there? You know, I think they've probably liked golf uh, more than anything. Uh, that was uh, also something that really took place more before uh, the playoffs started. Everybody just kind of locked down, really, you know, once the playoffs started and we just kind of got into a different mentality. Um, but I think uh, they liked the fishing, too. I mean, I heard there were some guys, I think it was Gary Clark who went out an awful lot. Paul George was supposedly pretty good. I mean, you started to hear these fishing legend stories, you know, from the guides themselves talking about, you know, who caught the biggest one or, who had, who had been uh, booking the most trips. And, but there's really not that much to do here, to be honest. I mean, it's, uh, I think most guys are just playing video games, watching NFL football at this point. Uh, the, the number of activities and the area and space that we really have is strictly limited. That's why, you know, my favorite thing to do is to just walk in circles on an empty road all day long, you know. And I've gotten up, I think my longest day was 13 miles, which, you know, that could take like three, three, four hours. I mean, you got a lot of time to burn here, uh, you know, once, once the, uh, the game started to slow down. So um, this is not uh, the real Disney World. Let's put it that way. We're not hopping on, uh, you know, roller coaster rides and, you know, that kind of stuff. We don't have access to any of that. When you were talking about going on the walks and seeing coaches and executives, I kept thinking that if the mascots were there, then it would have really felt like you're stuck in some sort of sports center commercial. Like every morning you go out and you see <laughs> Rocky or Benny the Bull taking their walk. We close always, Ben, with the rejecting the screen question since the podcast is called Rejecting the Screen. Like the guys used to have the same conversation in the back of the bus, 80s, 90s. Who would you want to, with the game on the line, to reject the screen, go ISO, get a bucket? And there's always some sort of stipulation. So let's go with guys that you have covered during your career who's the guy that you'd want to reject the screen go iso get a bucket kd man i you know and i i realize that his uh clutch numbers aren't always the best but with that length ball handling the high shot uh you know the high shot release point 
um, the experience factor. You know, I think once you bang two three pointers in LeBron's faces to win title, you know, I mean, yeah. what, what more do you want? Uh, I, I'm cool with Katie, and there's a lot of good options. I mean, LeBron can get you a basket in a lot of different ways. What makes me nervous about him doing that is, you know, if he gets fouled, you know, what happens you know, in the free right. throw line? There's been some pretty shaky shooting here lately, so I will take Kevin Durant. Ben, we really do appreciate it. And if we had known that you'd been going to the package room every day looking for a care package or see if someone sent you a letter, we would have sent you Absolutely. a letter or a care package. And, but I, I do hope that you're not in this position again next season. We appreciate all the work on Locked On NBA on Thursdays, also the Open, the open Floor podcast, and also your newsletter with the Washington Post. We highly recommend everybody subscribing to that. You can follow Ben on Twitter at Ben Goliver. Ben, thank you so much. It's my pleasure, and have no fear. David Locke sent me an entire case of Built Bars, so I'm good. You know, let's get, the, let's get that plug in there. What do you think? <laughs> Enjoy. So we record that with Ben. This is Tuesday afternoon, the afternoon of Game 4 of the NBA Finals, Lakers leading two games to one. So this will be out on Thursday when most folks will listen to it. But again, with so many other things it's pretty much evergreen you can hear about ben's experience and others experience in the bubble and he has been there for 80 plus days yes there are far worse places to spend 80 plus days but when you are in the same place and in any sort of confines that that'll do a number on you you talked about it and i i i hadn't heard it from anyone else that's why i keep bringing this up before this bubble started just the kind of toll that it would take on people and LeBron. And this was actually a tweet that, that Ben himself had put out from a LeBron bite. LeBron said, this has probably been the most challenging thing I've ever done. As far as a professional, I would be lying. If I said, I knew everything inside the bubble, the toll it would take on your mind and body. It's been extremely tough. So you're talking about professional athletes that train like crazy. They are limited in terms of what they eat what they put in their bodies, um, what they do on a daily basis. They're, they're so regimented. And to think that they're struggling uh, mentally, emotionally, just with being confined. And again, as you point out, yeah, it's Disney World. Yeah, the weather's great. Uh, but when you start talking about people being away from their families and especially athletes that are used to having that freedom and being able to go and do as they please, and, and we're all restricted now with COVID and a lot of people have it so much worse. It's not, it's not whining for these people. But I will say the interesting perspective that, that Ben provides is we think all the time, yeah, well, all these athletes make millions and and they're living in mansions, so it doesn't matter. But you think about all these reporters that are there and you think about all the workers that are making sure that this this setup has worked for the fans and for the players and that we can enjoy this product at home. And just to think of the job that everyone's done and the work they've put in. I mean, it's been great service. It's been a public service they provide. And I appreciate what Ben and the others have spent all that time in the bubble have done. It just sucks hearing game two of the NBA finals was as flat of a basketball experience as he's ever had. And you're talking yeah. about spending two weeks at summer league. That's, that's tough to hear. That's tough to mm-hmm. hear, but it also points to why the NBA is so laser focused on getting fans in arenas at some point when, whenever next season starts. Check out everything else going on on the Locked On Podcast Network, Locked On NBA, five days a week. So when this comes out on Thursday, 
you'll hear Locked On NBA with Ben Golliver and David Locke, and you can go a little bit deeper with Ben on this podcast here on Rejecting the Screen. Hollinger and Duncan, John Hollinger and Nate Duncan with their unique takes, and Locked On Fantasy Hoops with Josh Lloyd, plus your team every day, all 30 teams every single day, in-season, in-bubble, off-season, or whatever other season we have here in 2020. We're on Instagram sometimes at rejecting underscore the underscore screen. Adam's on Twitter at NaysmithLives. I'm at Noah Kozlov, C-O-S-L-O-V. Please just share the podcast with friends. And then if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, click the five stars and leave a quick review. It really does take 15 seconds. Just let us know what you think of it. Adam, thanks, pal. You are the best.